beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, What were your thoughts when you just sang this hymn, thinking about stanza three, when through the deep waters I call you to go? There are times in our lives that the Lord calls us to go through deep waters. In Sunday school this morning, we were looking at Psalm 69, where David speaks about the waters that are up to his neck. He feels himself that he is going to be overflowed with the water, that he's going to sink down, and he's going to drown under the trial and difficulty that it is going through. He's speaking and using that in a figurative sense. It was the trouble and the trial that he was dealing with uh, that sensed in his life, he was sensing that he was going to be drowned up in it. The rivers of sorrow uh, shall not overflow, for I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Here is the promise of two things that you see right there in that one stanza. One thing is that we are going to go through the rivers of sorrow. There is going to be trials and problems in your life. And if you are one who is faithfully, diligently reading God's Word, you're going to find that in Scripture all over the place of trials and problems and difficulties. Jesus had said that in this world you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul wrote that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. David speaks about going through the miry clay and the horrible pit. He speaks about that again in Psalm 69, about the, the, the sand, the, 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 the muck, the mire that he was in, the difficulty of his life in struggling through those problems. Job had said, we are all kinds of troubles in a short life in this world. Just as the sparks fly upward, we're going to go through troubles. This is the reality of the Christian life. I think the church today as a whole is allergic to reality. I was talking to the elders earlier and I had just trying to use an analogy. It seems to me it's like putting together a certain recipe. And I used like a soup. And you have all these ingredients that you put in this soup and you taste it and you say that just something is missing. Something is just not quite right. Although the soup would be nourishing, although it would be filling uh, to eat it, and you would enjoy it for the most part, you would know that there's just something is not quite right. Let me use that to say in the life of the church, I think the reality of struggle and suffering and brokenness is something of an ingredient missing in the life of the church today. We want to deny it. We want to push it aside. We want to act like it's not a component in the Christian life, and yet the Scripture tells us different. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have trial. You will have persecution. What Jesus says is that we are to be of good cheer because He has overcome the world. He didn't say, come to me and all your problems are over. He said, now that you're in me, now that you're one of my disciples, you are going to be hated by the world. The world hated him. The world is going to hate the followers of Jesus Christ. 
I think, again, why we're not hated as we ought to be as a church, as a congregation, as the Christian uh, as a whole, Christianity as a whole. Why we're not hated as we ought to be. I'm not saying because we're rude or we're arrogant or we're prideful or any of those things. We're not hated as we ought to be because we don't speak the truth. We don't speak. We don't declare the gospel. We don't mix it up, as it were, in the world in which we live. We don't speak of the things of Christ. Why? It's controversial. You know, John Stott, who had died recently, he wrote a book, and it was called Christ the Controversialist. Everything in the life of Christ was controversial. There was problems and difficulties with the world in which he lived. Why is that? Because he was contrary to the world. And the world system, the ideology, the philosophy, the psychology, and every high and lofty thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God's word. Christ was contrary to that. He is truth incarnate. And so he spoke. And what ended up happening is they nailed him to a cross. That is for speaking the truth. Jesus said, point out my sin. What sin have I committed? Show me my sin. He committed no sin. But they hated him. And so it is with the disciples of Christ. If we're following in the train of Jesus Christ, if we're preaching the gospel, if we're calling all men everywhere to repent and to believe on Christ, and we're saying as a truth... The, 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 the problem solved in this world is Christ. What will solve the difficulties and the problems is Christ. It's never any of these other things that are all facade. It's always Jesus. You see, even in our prayer is what I pray. Change the mind of these lawmakers because then the direction of their life will change. When the Lord changed my heart, when He changed my soul, when He raised me up to newness of life, my life changed. That wasn't all at one time. But there was radical change immediately. And then it just continued more and more and more. And that's the process of sanctification, is becoming more and more like Jesus, which doesn't happen apart from the Word, sanctified by Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And it becomes a problem in the life of the church that if we're not a people of the book. You see, you can't be a person of the book and not be a controversialist. Because people will say things and you'll stand up, that's false. That's wrong. That's not true. That's of the devil. Oh, you don't hear that today. You don't hear people standing firm in the truth. I think it's a laissez-faire. And then what happens is that the church becomes more and more like the world, whereas we are to be distinct from the world. We're in it, but not of it. We are to be a people that are being transformed continually by the renewing of our mind, so that we are not conformed to the ways of this world. Abortion is not okay. In Scripture, it is declared as murder. Homosexuality is not okay. Transgenderism is not okay. Woke philosophy is not okay. 
Critical race theory is not okay. They are contrary to the teaching of God's Word. It is the way of the world, and yet multiple churches are going woke in our day. The military has gone woke. You can't say Happy Father's Day anymore. Why? Because he could be a mother. A woman that was being interviewed, she had a great education, an Ivy League school, says that men can have babies. You know, I have a cure for that. Let me hold your head underwater for a few minutes. And then you'll have a different reality of life. Men do not have babies. Men cannot have babies. And you cannot identify with anything other than what you are. You are either male or female. There is no other category. So we stand and we speak the truth. And we don't have to do that rudely, but we have to do it. And I think we don't have enough boldness and courage in the life of the church. I think another problem is that we're too concerned about what other people think about us. And yet you don't find that in Scripture. You find a boldness in the life of the church. Again, as I've said before, read the book of Acts. So, here we are in the reality of the Christian life. David says the muck and the mire, the problems, the difficulty, all day long, he says in Psalm 69, I'm on my bed crying, waiting upon the Lord, and I'm struggling, and it's like my problems are up to my neck, and they're going to bring me down. I sense it. I feel it. Lord, how long? That's what he says. I wait upon you, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. But yet, this is what we pray, beloved. We pray, thy will be done. God puts us in positions, in situations, and in circumstances that we must wait. The deliverance must come from Him. And you find that continually in the Psalms, especially in the life of David. I'd mentioned in Sunday school this morning, the more I read the Psalms of David, the more I identify with David's life. The more I see that as a reality in my own life. Now, we ought to admit it. We're broken people. We don't have it all together. Look, we all have all kinds of problems. All of us have all kinds of problems. One in this way, one in that way. But we all have numerous problems. Because we're all broken people. And you know, the solution to all of our brokenness is always the same. It's Jesus. It's not trying to make myself better, to put on a facade, you know, paint up a dead body that looks really good in front of the world. No, it's just simply admitting and confessing it. That's what you find. Man after God's own heart is not a perfect man. He is a man that confesses. He is a man that repents. He is a man who trusts only in the Lord for his righteous standing before a holy God. David is this, this man. There's reference also to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see some parallels to the life of Christ. Look at our text of verse 14. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Uh, let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. This is one of the things that the, the Psalms record, what's called imprecatory Psalms. 
It's when the psalmist is crying out that God would bring destruction upon the wicked. These are God-haters. We are to hate the enemies of God and we are to love our enemies because they're not necessarily the same. We are a people of God that recognizes that we are going to dwell in a kingdom that righteousness dwells. We're not there yet. We are in the in-between, the already and the not yet. Christ has already won the victory, but the consummation has not happened yet. We have not heard the call with the trumpet blast, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. We're waiting, we're anticipating. It's coming, but it's not yet. Even the souls under the altar, uh, we read in the book of Revelation, How long, O Lord, how long? Crying out, waiting. Waiting upon the Lord. And the Lord moves in His time. Which is always perfect. It's always right on time. And so, this is David uh, crying out, and he's desiring them to be brought to shame. Let them be brought to shame who seek my life, who want to destroy me, who do all manner of evil against me because I do the Lord's bidding. I'm a servant of the Lord. I honor the Lord. I worship the Lord. And yet they want to destroy me. David was a righteous king. And yes, he sinned. And we are called righteous people in Jesus Christ. And yes, we sin. And and that's the paradox, isn't it, of the Christian life? Righteous and at the same time sinful. Righteous in Christ positionally, sinful practically. Working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Repenting, confessing, turning away, growing in grace. The difficulties, the trials, the crying, the rejoicing, the singing, the disease, the sickness, the sorrows. It's a constant mixed bag in this life. And yet our hope has always stayed on the Lord Jesus. We don't weep as those who have No hope. Our hope is Christ. He is our hope. And so David is praying uh, that God would bring confusion to them. He prayed that before with Ahithophel. He prayed that the Lord would confuse his counsel. There is everything right about that. I think in praying that confuse the counsel of the ungodly tyrants of our world. Confuse their counsel, O Lord. You know, the church strives for peace. The church desires peace. But in this world, we're not going to have peace. We're going to constantly have contention. We can have peace of heart, but there's still some turbulence in the heart as well. Why? Because sin is still there. Sin is rebellion. Sin, uh, harmartia, um, I'm thinking of lawlessness. John uses the word lawlessness. And he uses the term uh, antinomian is what it means. Anomia, against the law. Uh, the A right there is what's called an alpha primitive. It negates the word. So it's the nomos is the Greek term for law. It's against the law. So God says, and you live otherwise. Now you know. You know what I'm talking about. You know those things that you got going on in your life that you ought not to be doing and yet you do them? It's living against the law. That's your heart. You ever hear somebody get angry at once and all of a sudden these words come out of their mouth? And you're like, whoa. You know, normally you wouldn't hear that from them. But in this situation, where, where are those words coming from? 
That's from the heart, isn't it? Because as Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth is coming from the heart. And that means that there is, in a condition of the believer, we are still only partially sanctified. These are things that we are constantly putting off. And that's why the battle rages. That's why the struggle in the Christian life. You don't have a struggle. If you do not have a struggle, that's, um, that's not a good place to be. If you don't have a struggle in your life, uh, you could be in a perilous condition. You could be still in your sins, still dead in trespasses and sins. Because the believer has a war. The believer asks questions of, if, if I'm a believer, why do I do such things? Unbelievers never ask that. That's what the believer struggles with. The believer recognizes the ethic of Scripture, but the morality of our living. The ethic is what ought to be. The morality is what is. This is where we ought to be, but this is the reality of where we are. And we're aiming for that, but we're not there. Nobody keeps the teaching of God's Word perfectly. And that's what brings the difficulty and the struggle in the soul. That's what I think you read in Romans 7 with the Apostle Paul. He saw the wretchedness still in his soul. The man who was redeemed, who desired to please God, and yet he still had that law, that principle that was with him always, the sin, dragging him into other things that him, the one who desired to please God, didn't want to do, but he found himself doing it, caught up in it. That's the Christian struggle. So we pray. And David is, drive them backwards, Lord. Bring them backwards and brought to dishonor. Let it be seen what kind of individual they are. The gossip and the slanders and those that want to destroy me as the king. They did the same thing to Jesus. Remember how people ridiculed Christ? They said that Jesus was demon-possessed. They said He was born of fornication. This was a, a man who committed no sin. And yet he was one who was constantly, uh, with the world in which he lived, misunderstood. He was one who was constantly ridiculed. They blasphemed his name. And so David says, they wish evil on me. I, I've done them no evil. But they desire my death. They wanted to throw Christ over a cliff. They wanted to kill him. What evil did he commit? So here we have, as David is praying this, right here an example as the Christian church. Uh, there are some rulers and uh, haters of the gospel that we pray that the Lord bring them to confusion. Lord, you alone can do this. Let them be confounded, he says, because of their shame. It's a shame for the world to come against the church. It's a shame to ridicule the teaching of God's Word. It's the Word of the true and living God who's created and upholds all things. And they ridicule His Word. They make it laughable. It becomes a joke and a byword. That's what the world is. Oh, they're holy rollers. They're Bible thumpers. Oh, these are the ones who want to keep the ancient commandments. I, I saw a sitcom the other day where somebody had said that they were going to go to church and the, another individual says, oh, okay, well, uh, tell, say hello to the Easter Bunny for me too. What was his point? What was he saying there? 
He was saying that you believe in God and that's like believing in the Easter Bunny. That's what he was, he was ridiculing. And that's the world in which we live. And the prayer is that they would be confounded. You know, we can do well for others by praying for them. Praying for their salvation. Lord, bring them to faith or bring them to destruction. They're haters of the church. That's what happened with Saul of Tarsus. He was a hater of the church. And yet, this man was redeemed. So, David says, let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha. That's what they say of Jesus, isn't it? You, you who said that God was your father, let him save you now. Come down off the cross if you're really the son of God. Let them be brought to shame. And they will be. It's coming. That last day, the resurrection, when all of humanity will stand before the Lord. And they will be brought to shame. And they will dwell with their shame forever and ever and ever. As haters and despisers of the gospel of God. Haters of God. Knowing God exists. Knowing that He rules and reigns. And yet not submitting themselves to Him. That's a shame. It's coming. But for us, notice. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let me ask you this question. Are you seeking the Lord? You see, in Romans 3, no man seeks the Lord. Understand the context of that. No unregenerate fallen man seeks the Lord. There ought not to be a theology in the church for seekers. As if the unregenerate are looking for God. They're not. They're running from God. They're running away from God. We are those that are lost. It's Christ that seeks us out. He's the truth seeker. But once you're sought by Christ, and He is the one who brings you to Himself, then you seek after Him. And then you realize when you're seeking after Him, He's the one who sought you out, and that's the only reason that you seek. It's akin to, we love Him because He first loved us. That's why we love the Lord. So, Are you seeking the Lord? And by that I mean, are you coming to Him in prayer? Are you one who comes before His Word during the week seeking Him? Are you one who prays on behalf of others? Are you one who desires to serve Him even in the public square? Wherever you may work, whatever you're doing, seeking to serve Him. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking His will, His strength, His desires? Is His desire your desire? Psalm 37. When you desire the things of the Lord, you will have your desires because God will grant those things. So, seeking after the Lord. We seek Him in prayer. We seek Him corporally in worship. We ought to be seeking Him daily in private. And that's probably a a huge problem in the life of the church, isn't it? It's not seeking Him privately and then we come publicly What is the worship like? How vibrant is our worship? You can't spend six days a week running after the things of the world and think Sunday we're going to come in and all is going to be well and great in a great worship service. We've got too much of the barnacles of the world. Too much influence. Too much being then conformed to the ways of this world. The thinking, the struggles, the difficulties. Got to be a people that are privately seeking the Lord so that we come together publicly, corporately, in this manner. We're coming and gathering together collectively 
to seek the Lord in His glory, to seek His strength. And so this is what David is praying for the people of God. And he's saying, let those who seek you rejoice. Why would you rejoice when you seek the Lord? Because when we see the truth of God in Scripture, and we know what is going to happen as the future moves on, we know who is ruling and reigning, we know who is in control of this world, it brings rejoicing. Even in the midst of sorrows. You know, we had a funeral yesterday. We rejoice and we get sad, but we are those that rejoice even at a funeral because there is hope. We don't weep and mourn as those who have no hope. We weep and mourn, but not as those who have no hope. There is rejoicing. There is rejoicing in the most difficult things of life. Why? Because God is working together uh, these things for the good of those who love Him. Even the most difficult and trying circumstances, God is working them together. So David says, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad in the Lord. Beloved, you're going to have difficulty in this world. But we can be glad in the Lord. We can be glad and rejoice that we are in Him and He is in us. We can rejoice and be glad in the truth. We can rejoice in knowing that a kingdom is coming. Now don't be misunderstood. A kingdom is coming. That's the consummation. That is the ultimate. That's the finality that we're looking for. Not simply going to heaven. Oftentimes it's, you know, I just want to go to heaven. I just want to go to heaven. That's not the ultimate. That's the intermediate state. It's dying and the body is in the ground and the soul goes to be with the Lord. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Christ went to prepare, is coming down upon this earth. This is going to be the kingdom where righteousness dwells. The whole of the earth. It is going to be given to righteousness. It's going to be paradise restored. It is going to be the Garden of Eden over the whole face of the earth. It is going to be glorious. But the ultimate is when the body comes up out of the grave and is joined to the soul. And then the mortal is covered with immortality. The corruptible is covered with incorruption. Death is swallowed up in life. And we dwell, body and soul, in this kingdom of righteousness forever. That is what we long for. That is what we look for. Not just the intermediate. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Which Paul says in Philippians 1, far better than being here. Far better. We, we long for that. And that's the struggle. Do you realize, beloved, that every time you groan, that's a cry for paradise? Every time you cry, every time you get angry, every time that you're upset, every time that you're discouraged, depressed, anxious, it is all a cry for paradise. It's a cry for the kingdom in which righteousness dwells. It's a cry and a longing for the Prince of Peace to come and to consummate all things. It's a cry to no longer be in a fallen, broken world as broken people. That's the cry. And so we have great comfort in knowing the truth, and seeking after the Lord, being glad in Him. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Now, we can speak of salvation in different ways in Scripture. This, as David is saying, is deliverance. David is, is saying that he is the one who has been rescued by the Lord. He understands God's rescue, and he's saying, be thankful to God that He delivers he delivers out of, of conditions that are uh, much peril. He brings us out of 
problems and difficulties. Be glad. We can also say to rejoice in the salvation that He has granted of the forgiveness of our sins. That you are no longer under the wrath and curse of God. Did you know that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one? Those that are still in Adam, those that are not in Christ, they are in darkness, they are under the sway of the wicked one. They are under the domination of Satan. They have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Not us. We know the truth. We know the reality that Christ has redeemed us and is redeeming us and shall redeem us. The redemption is past, it's present, and it's future. And we have that hope and we say continually, continually, let the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified. The Lord be exalted. Exalt in Him over your salvation. Exalt in Him of His goodness. His mercy and His grace, which are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Exalt in the faithfulness of God. That His yes is yes, that His no is no. That He doesn't speak with a forked tongue. He doesn't speak out of two sides of His mouth. What you read in Scripture is truth. This is God's Word. God's Word is truth. God be magnified. The Lord be exalted. That's the cry of the church. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name. We give praise. We give thanks. We give glory to your holy name. This is what the church is called to. It's to magnify our King. And notice what David says. Do you not identify with this? Do you not see this in your life? I'm poor and needy. I'm broken. So are you. Whether you confess it or not, you're broken as well. And whether you confess poor and needy, you're poor and needy. And I am as well. We're spiritually poor. We need spiritual growth. We need to be revived continually as a church. We're spiritually poor. We're needy. Are you needy? Do you find yourself as a needy individual? Oh, we live in a, in a country. We live in communities that we don't want to say we're needy because that, that, that expresses weakness. I don't want anybody to think I'm weak. So I, I'm going to say I don't have any need. Well, I have needs. We're all dependent upon the Lord. Every moment, every day, we're dependent upon Him. We're dependent upon other individuals. Businesses can't thrive without other businesses. This is the way that the Lord has designed it. And notice within that, there is a dependency that goes on. And we're all dependent. We are not independent. We have a delusion of independence. We speak about that. Oh, I can't wait to get out of my parents' house and be independent. You're never independent. You're always, always dependent. You're dependent when you come into this world. You're dependent when you leave this world. We depend on other people. That's a frustration, isn't it? But that's the reality. Is they're dependent. We're needy. I'm spiritually needy. I come to the Word and there are things I don't understand. I'm blind to some things. I'm stupid to things. I'm needy. Lord, illumine my mind. Teach me, give me, make me, mold me, shape me, direct me. This is the cry that you read in Psalm 119. Uh, Bring the illumination to my mind so that I might understand the wondrous things in your word. I'm needy, Lord, and I'm spiritually poor. And this is the blessing of the Beatitudes. Blessed is the one, the poor in heart. This is the one, the one who understands his need. And notice, 
even though I'm poor and needy. I'm like a pauper, like a beggar. The Lord thinks on me. How do you move on from that one, that, that verse, that phrase, yet the Lord thinks on me? Who am I that the Lord would think on me? I mean, I'm nobody. Who's man that you're mindful of him, Psalm 8? The son of man that you consider him. Why would the Lord think on us? You go home and you meditate on that verse. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. The Lord has thoughts about you. And they're numerous, as David said, too numerous to count. That the Lord thinks on his people. How often do you think on the Lord? And yet the Lord thinks on his people continually. The gaze of the Lord, the thoughts of the Lord are never removed from his people in Jesus Christ. I mean, that is so humbling. That God would think upon a poor and needy individual. That he would provide the aid, the grace, the mercy that is necessary to come into his presence. He provides that. What a wonder. You know, that's the humility that we need, isn't it? That the Lord thinks on me. I'm not worthy to be thought of. And yet, God takes thought of me. Boy, that's humbling. You know what that humility does? You know what that humbling that goes on in the soul when you read such as this? It stirs you up and it revives you again to worship God, to honor Him, to be thankful, to sing His praise, to say, let the Lord be magnified. God is my help. God helps me at the right time. He helps me continually. He provides for my needs. And whether I live, I live to the Lord. And if I die, I die to the Lord. Whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. Doesn't matter what I go through in this life. I am the Lord's. Is it sickness? He is going to use this, even this sickness, to conform me into the image of His Son. It's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. It's annoying at times. And sometimes we don't like it. I mean, let's be honest, beloved not a lot of honesty. There's not a lot of simply speaking that truth. That you know what? Things happen to us in this life. And I'll be the first one to say things happen to me through COVID as well. And I don't like it. It bothers me. And that's okay. And we can bring that to the Lord. But it bothers me. It irritates me that I'm not the same as I was before that. It bothers me that I can't get back there. That I don't even know how to get back there. It bothers me. And yet I know that the Lord has done it. And that He has a purpose in doing it. And I recognize that. It still irritates me. I still don't like it. And yet I must submit. And it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult to submit to that. It's difficult to submit to the will of the Lord when it's sickness and sorrow and heartache and difficulty. It's hard. And yet the Lord is our help. You can't give me the help that I need to get through those things. I can't give you the help. But I can point you to the one that can. He's the helper. He's the deliverer. In Him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Salvation is in Him. Grace is in Him. Mercy is in Him. Forgiveness is in Him. 
strength and perseverance and diligence and understanding is in Him. It's in the Lord. He alone is our help and our deliverer. Run to Him, beloved. Keep on seeking after Him and His Word. Keep on crying out. You find that with the psalmist. How long, O Lord? I was asked a question this morning. The difference between lamenting and complaining. Lamenting is what we do. We lament to the Lord. How long? Lord, I wait. You know, I don't like this, Lord. I'm in this condition, this situation. How long do I have to remain in this condition? Does this go on the rest of my earthly existence? How long, O Lord? That's lamenting to the Lord. Complaining is complaining at God. Or you have put me in a bad spot and I don't like it and you're wrong for doing it. It's a complaint. It's an ungodly complaint. We have a lot of ungodly complaining. We complain about everything. What, what, what a prosperous nation. Yeah, we complain. I mean, it's too cold. It's too hot. I mean, is it ever just right? It's never just right in your home. Husband likes it cold. Wife likes it warmer. I like to live in the tropic. I like to live in Alaska. It just goes on. Fan on in the wintertime. You don't want the fan on in the wintertime. Stop blowing on me. I want covers. I don't want covers. We're never satisfied. We complain. How about this? Shut up. Okay, I get it, right? I get it. We're different people. We all have problems. Sometimes too cold. Get a blanket. Wear a jacket. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Although it was a little chilly last Lord's Day, wasn't it? God is the deliverer. We look to Him. We run to Him. And notice what David says. Don't delay. This is a cry, right? God, don't delay. Hear and answer my prayer speedily. You're my God. I'm not going to anyone else. My help is not in anyone else. My help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord. Lord, don't delay. Answer me speedily. Come, hear my prayer. Answer my prayer. Deliver me, O God. David is looking backward. He's looking forward. He's looking upward. He's looking downward. That's what you find in Psalm 40. He's remembering past deliverances. He's realizing the things that he's about to go through now. He knows that the Lord is the one who is the lifter of his head. And it's the Lord who delivers him from all his trials and troubles. That is our lives as Christians, beloved. This is the Christian life. Problems, trouble, toil, difficulties, heartaches. Buckle up. This is the Christian life in a fallen, sin-cursed world. We live in this world where the world is dominated by hatred towards God. We are the minority. We are the worshipers, the honorers, the seekers of the Lord. The world is not. Those that are fallen and dead, they hate it. And so there is the constant dilemmas and problems and difficulties on your workplace. You know, in the grocery store, when you go to the mall, everywhere you go, there's problems. Get out on the highway. I mean, some of the main roads, you know, people come over to the post office all the time and never look. They do a U-turn right there. Never pay attention and just turn right in front of other people. I mean, you want to watch a good crash, just go up to the post office and look out the window there. You'll see one going to happen. It's problems and difficulties. 
Get used to it. Uh, don't let that catch you by surprise. Uh, David demonstrates that. And as he does, he says, God is our help. Let him be magnified because he is our help and he's worthy to be praised. That's the teaching of Psalm 40. Amen. Shall we pray?